would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Our text this morning is found in 1 John, and it's chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. It says this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Thank you so much. Well, good morning, friends. It's so good to be back. I was um, on a, a trip uh, to Colorado um, to visit my sister. I participated also in... Um, sort of a professional development exercise as well through some ministry <laughs> colleagues that I have out there, and it was a wonderful time, um, but it's great to be back. I missed you all, and it's so good to see Dylan here. Um, Dylan was uh, a part of our church, and he moved to Virginia, so let's all embarrass him and look at him right now and wave. And <laughs> but um, it's good to see you, and um, we're glad to have you um, back for this little while from Virginia, and I, and I see other people visiting too, and it's just so good to be, um, be with you all this morning. I want to encourage you to, um, if you're new to our church, even if you're not to our church, there are other ways in which we can connect. It's a weird world that we live in right now, and it's hard to make those connections, right? Um, but we do have small groups that still aim to meet, um, some of them by Zoom, some of them in person. So if you're listening online or if you're here in person, we have a, a women's group that meets on Thursday mornings at 10.30 or 10, 10 o'clock. Um, and the, our men's group meets at 8 on Saturday, and we have a youth group that meets on uh, Wednesday night at 7. And it's, it's a blast. Um, and I hope that you can get involved with one of those things. We also have, it's, it's strictly live stream, it's not in person, um, but on Friday nights we do 30 minutes, um, and this is on our Facebook live page. Um, but it's 30 minutes of Bible reading and reflection. It's really quick, and it's a lot of fun, and that's on Friday nights. It's the kind of thing, too, where if you miss the live feed, for some reason you're doing something, you're working, you can always go back to it later. It just won't be live. You just repeat the video, and hopefully that's an encouragement to you. We want to stay connected to each other during this difficult time. Part of our values, of, as you know, we've been going over them, is community, is, is to have authentic relationship um, with each other as we have it with God as well. And um, one of the ways that we do that is by, is by actually knowing each other, knowing each other's stories, sharing each other's burdens, rejoicing with each other as we rejoice. So I hope that that's one way that you can find a connection point, um, perhaps with one of our small groups, and um, that you can participate in that. And if, if none of those really kind of suit your schedule, um, don't ever hesitate to, to just let me know. Let me know a night that might work for you. Maybe we can kind of get the word out and get another small group going. That might be more convenient for some of you. That, um, that need a different time to do it in, okay? Um, but I'm just so glad, again, to be with you, to be back with you. I want to remind you, too, that next week um, we're going to have baptisms here, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be baptizing um, Milena Koval. Um, you know, you guys know Milena. She's, a, I think she's 12 or 13, and we're also baptizing Carla Barnacle. Um, you know, so Carla's getting baptized as well. And we're just super excited about this, this event. I hope that you can all be here to celebrate them as 
um, and to, to celebrate with them as they profess faith in Jesus Christ in this unique way, in this way that Scripture instructs. And we're just so excited to be We're going to do it during the service. Um, it, it might, well, I should say we're going to do it here at the service. We might reserve a little time afterwards. I don't, we're, we haven't worked out if we're going to do it online um, and include it in the service or if we're going to do it after. Um, we're not sure yet, but I hope that um, I hope that we can do it online too for people that that um, aren't going to be here with us. We'll we'll work that out. But whatever whatever we do, it's going to be next week, and and it's going to be um, shortly after the worship service or during it. You know, so I hope that you can all be here and participate in that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, okay, so we are back now. If you recall, we went through our values. Um, our our church worked on um, uh, the elders and. Um, uh, in the church, so that's myself, Mark, and Joe. We, we worked pretty diligently, um, I believe it was last year now, on really refining who we are as a church, our vision and values. And we wanted to go through those things with you as a church so that you understood um, uh, really what, what is the heartbeat of our local community here. And we went through that series. We're done with it now. So if you missed it, you can go back online and listen if that interests you. Um, we did get some banners so that you can be reminded. There's one in the, the foyer. There's one right near our Refuge Church sign. So if you want to be reminded of what that is, um, if you missed that series, um, it's there for you to reference. Um, so that's, that's um, I hope that you enjoyed that and that was helpful for you guys to get to know a little bit more about what we're, what we're all about here at Refuge Church. But now we're going back to, if you recall, we were going through the New Testament letter written by the Apostle John, First um, John. We called it, we're calling this series choose life um, we're in about chapter at the end of chapter three right now so we're almost done with it and um, we read for you this morning verses 19 through 24 and it complements what is the vision of our church um, and that is so that our church and our neighbors would know Jesus and find real life um, that is the vision of our church that we've listed it's a little bit longer than that but that's basically it it's written on our banner and we've we've developed a sort of like tagline for our church every life alive um, we want every single person that comes to the doors of this church um, into our homes to experience the real, genuine, eternal life now that Jesus promises by relationship with him. It's why he created you. Um, you're, you're not going to be satisfied by anything else until you love and follow Christ primarily. So we, we want our lives to really live. We want to know ourselves. We want to know God, and we want to live, right? Um, we don't want to just exist. How many people are just existing? You don't have to raise your hand. But you know what I mean, right? We're just existing. And sometimes it's even worse than that. Sometimes, sometimes we don't even know why we're living. We don't even know our purpose. And sometimes we, just, it would, just, we, we wish it would just all end, right? And we've been in those, those low, low places. But I love this uh, section of Scripture here that reads this. This is how our hearts are at rest in his presence. It's such a sweet sentence in scripture because we all feel the burden of unrest from time to time, don't we? That our hearts are just anxious and angry and worried. It's, it's, it sort of presumes, this is how we set our hearts at rest, it sort of presumes that we don't have restful hearts so often and that we actually need instruction to figure out how to find a restful heart. We have hearts that worry, hearts that are afraid, hearts that are lost, lonely, and broken. You ever get your heart broken? Now I'm not talking about just romance, right? 
You know, a guy or girl breaks your heart. There are, there are a million and one ways to get your heart broken. A leader betrayed you. A parent disappointed you. And sometimes it's not even about betrayal, but a, a child dies. How on earth did this happen? You didn't see it coming. Life can do that to our hearts, can't it? It can leave it restless and, un, and, and afraid and feeling betrayed. Because our heroes fall, our friends betray us, our health fails, and on I could go. We, and, and, you know, to add to this, isn't this true? We do and say and think the unthinkable. Like, we disappoint ourselves, is what I'm saying. We don't live up to our own standards. So that our hearts, if you read in the scripture, our hearts even condemn us. Not only does mom condemn us, you might have had a mom like that. I didn't, by the way. Mom's a great mom. Don't read into that. But not only do our moms condemn us or our husbands or, or our wives or whatever, our boss, we do it to ourselves. We can be our own worst enemy. Isn't that true? We feel the guilt and shame sometimes of, of our own self-judgment and self-loathing. You know, and that in the Hebrew, this, this word heart, it's so beautiful. We think of like this kind of weird, fleshy, bloody ball pumping in our chest, right? And if, if you're thinking more metaphorically, our heart, you know, it's some things that we care about, who we kind of are. But in, in the Hebrew, the heart is the center of everything that, that we are. Um, the, uh, the, if you pick up, like, pretty much any Bible dictionary and read about what the Bible means when it says the word heart, you'll read something like this. The heart is essentially the whole man or woman, person, with all their attributes physical, intellectual, and psychological, body, soul, spirit. The heart was conceived in the Hebrew mind as the governing center of all of these things, body, soul, and spirit. It's everything that we are, not just our physical flesh, but our soul, our emotions, our will, our volition, everything about us, our heart sort of is the governing center of all of it. So, our, uh, so as human beings, is this not true? We are body, soul, and spirit. And all of this governed by the heart. And what makes this so astounding, if that's what the heart is, if the heart pretty much is the governing center of everything that makes us human, the Bible also says that God has a heart. Right? Not a physical, fleshly one that we think of, but in other words, the same as us the governing center of everything that God is, all of his perfections, his love, his kindness, his justice, all of it, his grace, his power, his strength, his creativity. God has, the, the, when, when you hear about the heart of God, it's everything that God is, right? It's the most important part of who he is. We read in the book of Kings in chapter 9 this amazing statement. Solomon had just completed building the temple, right? And he decorated with gold and silver and pomegranates and the most precious stones. and It was the most opulent and amazing, um, amazing structure that the world had known at the time where the, even the queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon and was in awe by his wisdom and all the beauty that surrounded him. So when Solomon is finished building the temple... The Bible says that God, the Lord, responds to Solomon at the, at the conclusion of this construction project, and he says these words, um, I have heard your prayer, Solomon, because Solomon had just prayed, right? 
I've heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. Now watch this. My heart will always be there. The heart of God perpetually present in the temple of God. You say, oh, okay, big deal. I mean, that's, that, that's pretty awesome, right? God, God lowered himself and um, took on this presence in some kind of, you know, house-looking structure, some beautiful things with gold. And, but you know in the New Testament, you know where the temple is? It's not a building anymore. The Bible says that upon faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. That means a very, very powerful thing. Now think about this again. Because this was God's promise to Solomon. My heart will always be with you. The heart of God, everything that he is, takes up residence when you put faith in Jesus Christ. It takes up residence in you and never leaves you. The heart of God is in you. Everything he is, Every part of him, everywhere you go, follows you. Friends, let me just say this a little bit more simply so that we can try to understand this. Because so far this has been really, th- th- these are the theological heights, right? Let's, let's, you know, let's put the cookies a little lower. God has a heart for you. Oh, how he loves you. Th- that's got to be the conclusion, right? That you're not junk, that you're not trash that you don't need to be afraid, that you have the best friend that you could ever have, the greatest love. His heart hurts when yours does. His heart rejoices when your heart rejoices. It stings with you when you lose your job or when your husband or wife leaves. You see, friends, the heart of God is with you. So, friends, how might our hearts be at rest in his presence? See, that's the question I hope to answer this morning because I know that some of our hearts are heavy and some of our hearts are worried. Some of our hearts are maybe just a little oblivious. We just kind of skip through life and maybe it's not so heavy for you. I want to talk about real Christianity, Christianity according to Jesus Christ because what follows in our text is, I think, the litmus test for real Christianity. Because John starts to describe what it means to really be Christian, to really rest in his presence. You see, friends, this sounds, it might sound mystical or hyper-spiritual, but think about it like this. When you were young and you were worried, when you were like seven or eight, and something was scaring you, nine times out of ten, isn't this true? When mom or dad came in the room, if you had good parents, like I did, Something just sort of calmed in you. You knew you were going to be okay. I, I think I've told you the story before, but when I was young, I was terrified of Lizzie Borden. Right? I went to that museum. <clears throat> you ever go to the museum in Fall River? It's a horror show. Right? At first, it's nice. They send you into the toy room, and it's beautiful. Look at her toys. This is where she ate dinner. And then they send you into the skull room. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm there, and I'm looking at the skulls and the axes, and oh my gosh, this, this woman's going to creep out of her grave, come alive from the dead, and hack me up into pieces in the middle of the night. And I could not sleep. 
in my own bed alone. But when mom or dad came in the room, I was fine. You see, that, that posed a problem for them at the time because they needed to be with me or else I'd be crying the whole night. But when mom and dad were in the room, my heart was at rest because there was something bigger with me. There was something stronger with me. I was safe. And friends, how do you find rest in your life? You see, I'm going to argue this morning that unless you know the, the, the risen Christ, it will always just be out of your grasp. You'll, you'll think you'll have it. You'll think you'll be okay. You'll think you'll be satisfied and happy and whole. And then something will happen and you'll lose it. It will slip through your hands again. Jesus Christ is Lord. And until you have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, instead of your boyfriend or girlfriend or you know, your, your, how many people like your new picture on Instagram, right? until you find rest in Christ, you have no rest. And that's what I want to invite you to this morning, to follow me the way to life, to way to enduring and lasting life. This is how we know that we belong to truth and how our hearts are set at rest finally, in his presence. There are three vital signs, I think, that, we're, that we want to trace in this scripture passage. They are three, weakness, confidence, and assurance. And I want to talk about those things with you for just a few minutes. The first way that we find rest in the presence of God for our weary and lonely hearts is through weakness. Isn't that great? No one is born completely whole we are born in sin so if we're gonna get to rest we need to go through our weakness that's the only way to it we need to deal with the fact that that's the path to it we can't imagine another way right verse 20 if our hearts condemn us okay this is basically what it's saying there's this sort of literary device in, in Greek and in Hebrew, by the way, that is sort of, and it's a, it's a poetical device too, the implication, it's like an if-then, right? If our hearts condemn us, and they do. See, and th that part isn't in there, but it's implied. If our hearts condemn us, it's almost like saying, when our hearts condemn us. In other words, your heart, at some point in your life, is going to condemn you. It's going to happen. You are never going to live your life without it happening. You say, oh, that's not good news. Come on, man. I came here for good news. Well, it's going to get good. Okay? When your hearts condemn you, what do you do? I know what I do. I start getting weird. You know, and at my worst, let's go drinking. Let's go find a girl. Right? Because I don't want to feel this condemning thing that's happening in me right now. I want to escape it. Can I get an amen? Isn't that what we do? You know, some people, you say, I'm not so lustful like that, young man. Okay, so what do you do? Do you overwork? Do you work 80 hours a week? Do you make more money and say, I'm a good provider? See, we're avoiding the fact that something in us is condemning us by proving it wrong through something that we do or have. Isn't that true? But what does Scripture say? What is the antidote to a heart that condemns us? Well, it says, tells us, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than your heart. In other words, this is kind of like subtly in, in, insulting, right? <laughs> because it's kind of saying, God is kind of telling us here, it's like, it doesn't really matter what your heart is doing. 
what matters is what I do. So there are times in your life where you have to take what your heart is telling you, compare it to the Word of God, and if the Word of God says something different, you have to kind of cross it out. It trumps it. Because in those moments, it really doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what's true. Amen? Because newsflash, we're not God. That means that every thought that I have and every feeling that I experience doesn't always represent absolute truth. Sometimes I'm wrong, and sometimes you're wrong. So the Bible says take every thought captive. Take what your heart is doing and compare it to the timeless, matchless, and perfect word of God. And ask this simple question. Am I, by my heart, denying what God has said? Because if I am, I have to crucify it. I have to crucify my heart. And I need to stand on the word of God, the veracity, the faithfulness of who he is. Amen? So one enemy of a resting heart is a heart that condemns. One, One problem, one thing that interrupts our rest, our peace, our joy, in the presence of God is a heart that consistently and persistently condemns us. And you know, shouldn't we know better? Because in Romans 8, what does it say? For those who are in Christ Jesus, by faith, there is no condemnation. So you say, man, what a bum I am. What a loser I am. And you might say, it's true, man, because I did X, Y, and Z, and those things are sin. The Bible even says it. But what does the Bible also say? For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It doesn't mean that we don't repent. It doesn't mean that we persist in sin. It means you're not condemned. It means that you're still a child of God. It means that you're forgiven and loved. So come back and follow him and serve him and love him. So we should know better than this, shouldn't we? Friend, if you are in Christ, you are never ever condemned ever there was a time in my life where my heart was broken and you know what I did I started getting funky you ever get funky in your life I started dealing with with that broken heart with sin I was angry and I started doing things I had never done before and I came out of it I stopped doing those things but I was a, I was in a miserable shameful guilty mess I can't continue. That's just what I thought. My heart was condemning me now. I don't even know if I can step into a church again, let alone be a pastor. Right? I'm, I'm disqualified. I messed up too much. Some of you knew me at the time. You knew what I was doing. So, you, so the rest of you have to live a mystery. And you know what? One day, I woke up, and I had this message from God. It was very clear. That's the point of the gospel, man. You, are, you have messed up but there's no condemnation. So get up and serve Jesus Christ. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Right? But the power for holiness is grace. It's not the law. Because what did Jesus say? I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He didn't say go and sin no more and maybe I won't condemn you. Depending on how you do that. 
He said, no, no, you're, it's gone. It's forgiven. It's separated as far as the east is from the west. You deserve judgment, by, but I'm giving you love and forgiveness because of the blood of Christ. So your, when your heart condemns you as a Christian, all you need to do, friend, is to stand firm on the matchless love and power of the cross of Jesus Christ and get up and follow Christ because it's separated as far as the east is from the west. Some of you live in guilt of your sin and your past because maybe you divorced someone and you shouldn't have. Maybe you committed adultery. Maybe you've been having sex. Maybe you've been doing drugs. Or, or, and you, maybe you've stopped doing it, but now you're bearing the burden of the guilt and shame that's following you along because of it. Can I tell you, in Christ, there is no guilt and there is no shame. You are just as lovely to him now as you were before and then, by the way. There is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Go and sin no more. Love him. Follow him. Let, let your heart find rest from the guilt and burden that you put on it. The only thing that condemns you in Christ is yourself. It's not Jesus. Isn't that a good word? It's not good because I said it. It's good because it's in here. It's in the Bible. <clears throat> The only thing that condemns you in Christ is not Christ. It's you. <laughs> it's your own heart. And the good news behind that is our self-sentencing is completely ineffective. It has no sting because it's not true or real. What's real is what God has said, what God has decreed, what his word has spoken to you. That once what was lost is now found. What is guilty was, is now innocent. What, what was shameful is now righteous. That's who you are in Christ. Isn't that great news? So the first way in which we grow in our rest with God is to begin leaning not on our wavering senses, but on the unchanging, perfect, and eternal promise of God that will never change. Amen? That's who you are. There was this guy, Peter Palmer. He wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. He writes, conventional wisdom re recommends the divided life as the safe and sane way to go. Speaking of James chapter 1. The double-minded man is unstable, Scripture says, in all his ways. You know double-minded means in Greek? Two-souled. It's two-souled, right? The, 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 the devil and the angel. It's two-souled. You're a loser, you're not a loser, right? You're awesome, you're not awesome. You're too sold. Which is it? James reminds us that there is one test in determining if we are singular or double-minded. The single-minded person does this very simply. Go read James if you don't believe me. He believes God. He doesn't say, this is who I am because I'm great. Look at my record. Look at my diploma hanging on the wall. Look at all the money that I've saved. We don't look to those things to sort of like block out the insecurities and all the, the, the awful verdicts that have come our way. No, that's not how we get single-minded. The way that we get single-minded is believing God. To believe God gives us focus. Who do you trust? What do you trust? Because, friend, if you don't trust God, then you are going to trust something else, right? To deal with the unrest in your heart. And because no created thing 
can fully satisfy you. No created thing is fully trustworthy. Because of this, our interests change. The thing that we trust today changes and it becomes something different tomorrow. And we become unstable, double-minded. Always wavering. Restless. But you know what? This is the promise of God. God is greater than your heart. When it is wavering, when it is divided, when it is confused, when it stops believing the truth and starts believing a lie, God, the, the amazing grace of God is, this is, what is this, what this is saying is, it's saying believer, son, daughter, even when you start wigging out like that, I'm greater than you. You see, you, you can't lose yourself because I have you. So even when you stop believing me, when you start trusting something else, I'm greater than all that, God's word says. So we are instructed here, don't put confidence in yourself. Don't put confidence in your heart. Trust God who is greater than you and greater than our hearts. So this moves us from weakness to confidence. Okay, verses 21 and 22. Our weakness moves to confidence. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, whew, phew, I like that. We have confidence before God, and we receive anything we ask for him. All right, big pile of money, right? Well, hold on, fella. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, right? Friends, our power for victory in life is not ourself. It is God who is greater than ourselves. Isn't that what it says? Our power for a heart at rest in his presence is not our hearts. It's him. It's when our hearts become aligned to him and believe in him and trust in him. So our power ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason our hearts might condemn us is because we shift our trust in Jesus and place it onto something else, like I said before. What Scripture calls empty vessels, empty containers, broken containers that hold no water in Jeremiah. Our double minds produce restlessness and instability, and it can't hold water. It leaks. Right? But the heart that believes that God right now is the power, is the rest, is what we can trust and rely on. That he is our confidence because he is greater than our hearts. Oh, friends, do you have a restless heart? Is it troubled within you? My, may I invite you to consider the possibility that you have forgotten the power of the heart of God present with you that perhaps you've stopped leaning on it and trusting in it. It's so easy to do. The knowledge of the possession of the power that we have in God will always give you courage. Let me give you an illustration. Um, you know I've read the book Treasure Island. I like this book. Um, the boy Jim, he's the one that sort of escapes um, the, the evil pirates on the ship that are going to the island to find treasure. Um, he gets, onto, he gets onto the island, and he finds this maniac of a man, right? Just strand, he's, been, he's been stranded on the island for many, many years. So he's, he's a maniac of a man. He's got this long beard. He's terrifying. He starts chasing Jim. 
and Jim's running back to the to the ship. He's like, I'm gonna deal with it, with uh, um, Long John Silver, right? Because this guy, I don't know this guy. I know John Silver. I know how to deal with him. I don't know how to deal with this guy. So he starts running, but then all of a sudden it says, he says, I stood still, and cast about for some method of escape, and as I was so thinking, the recollect. Hear this. This is so great. The recollection of my pistol flashed into my mind. He forgot he had a gun, right? And, I, and as soon as I remembered that I was not defenseless, courage glowed in my heart. And I set my face resolutely for this man of the island and walked briskly toward him. Oh, wow. What a phenomenal word. As soon as I remembered I was not defenseless, courage glowed in my heart. If you know Christ and the heart of God is in you, you have the victory. You have a ready defense that's always willing and always available to rescue you. And when you know that and when you believe that, courage will glow in your heart and you'll look down the mouths of lions and giants You'll walk through seas and be thrown into fiery furnaces, unafraid. That's life, right? That's real life. That's rest in the presence of God. Oh, the power you have, friend. Do you believe it? Oh, wow. Are you double-minded? Are you unsure? Are you frightened and unstable and restless? Oh, could it be because you forgot about your pistol? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God that promises never to leave you or forsake you. Your strength is not your string bean arms, right? It's not your bank account. It's not your status. It's not the guy that's given you a hard time at work, right? It is God through faith in Jesus who is on your side and always will be. Oh, so stop looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend Look for the Lord. You see, oh, oh friends, if you, I, I learned this in life too hard, too diff, in a, too difficult ways. When I've looked for my own broken heart to be satisfied in a girl, it just made it worse. <laughs> they broke it more. How do you further break a broken heart? Well, it's possible. You been there? Oh, bring it to Jesus. It is God through faith in Jesus who is on your side and his heart is with you to defend you. Right? Like he told Solomon, my heart will be with the temple. It will always be with it. It will never leave it. So the one who is greater than us in every way, the one who knows everything, didn't it say that? He is your defense. He is your pistol. I remembered my defense. Courage glowed in my heart, and I set my face like a flint toward every Goliath that might aim to defy the living God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Don't you love that line? It's kind of gross, but isn't that a great line? David, hearing this, this giant of a man bark out threats to God's people, and they're all afraid. Their hearts are disheveled. They're hiding behind rocks. And David's bringing a Big Mac to his brothers because they were hungry on the battlefield. And he hears this doofus screaming out, who's going to defeat me? 
this Philistine, this giant of a man? And David replies, who is this unphil- who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why is he talking about uncircumcised? That's disgusting. Well, it was a symbol. It was a symbol that meant that the people of Israel were under the defense of God, the Lord. They were separated. They were cut off from the world. I'll let you do the image thing, okay? They were separated. They were, they, they were holy to God, Okay? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? We have the promise of God. And then David, what does Goliath do? Who's this little boy of a man coming to me with sticks? What am I, a dog? And David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And then he cuts his head off. This little peewee. You want to know why? It wasn't because David thought he could do it. It wasn't because he was smart. It wasn't because he thought he was great. It was because he knew the pistol he had. He knew the Spirit of God was with him. And that's your, you want courage that glows? You want to stop being afraid all the time? Oh, friends, let your heart rest in the presence of God. Give up on the things that you thought would make you happy and whole and follow Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said? When you do this, you will command mountains, move from this place to that, and it will be done. You know, I, th- this passage is, is, I know, puzzling for many. When it starts talking about, like, whatever you ask, I'll do it. But the way that I understand this isn't that God, it's not arbitrary, like, God, you know, Maserati, bang, it's there, right? It's not talking about that. The way I understand that is that by faith in Jesus Christ, when we ask God for anything that he has already promised us, he'll do it. So he hasn't promised us Maseratis or big piles of money, but he has promised you forgiveness, so ask him for it in faith, and he'll give it to you. He, ha- he has promised you victory over your enemies, the devil, your flesh, your self-condemning heart. So ask him for victory, and he'll give it to you. When you say this to this mountain, move from here to there, it will be done for you. Amen? He promises forgiveness, so by faith we are forgiven. He promises wisdom, so by faith we are wise. He promises victory, so by faith we have overcome. He promises rest, so by faith we sleep. The Lord will always provide what he has promised when we, by faith, his children, ask him for it. He is your defense. He is our confidence, our hope and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be moved, and though the mountains crumble into the sea, behold, there is a city that makes glad, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. Right? This confidence in the promise of God and power leads us finally to, thirdly, our assurance. Verses 23 through 24. Weakness, confidence, assurance. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands. That's what we read previously, right, in verse 21. Well, what is his command? What pleases him? And this, oh, this is where it gets tough. If my heart's going to find rest, you know, i got to keep his commands. i got to do the Ten Commandments. i got to not look lustfully, you know, at other women. And, I've, gosh, I've already screwed that one up 19 times today. Charity, i got to be charitable. i got to be kind. i got to be loving. i got to do all these things, right? 
How can any of us have hearts that don't condemn us if the, if the criteria is moral purity? But how do you have moral purity? What does the scripture say here? We have confidence, right, because we keep his command. It says that, doesn't it? But what's his command? Let's read it again. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. His command to you is to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Trust in Jesus for the power of holiness in your life. Trust in Jesus, not yourself. And then you'll love your neighbor because you can't trust in Jesus without, without, being, without it being accompanied by the love of God. Our assurance isn't founded in our ability to be good, but to believe in the good one, right? And then when we do that, the good one makes us good. He gives us the power and strength to be good. That's the command that we obey. That's our assurance. It's God's trustworthiness, not our own. The word believe is pistuo in Greek. It means faith, saving faith as opposed to superficial or fake faith. There is a fake faith in Scripture, but saving faith includes three things. I believe there's a slide up there for you. Saving faith affects the mind, the emotions, and the will. That's what makes it faith. It's not just the mind. It's not just saying Jesus rose from the dead. Any, any monkey can repeat that sentence. Okay? It's, it's, the, it's, it's logical. It's faith in Jesus Christ. We understand who he is. But it's not just that. It's all, it, faith affects the mind, the emotions, and the will. It, it, it's, it affects the intellect, in other words, the mind, in that it understands who Jesus is and what he did and agrees with it, assents to it. It logically agrees. It logically understands the principle of the, of the gospel. But saving faith is not just intellectual. It's volitional. And that faith always affects the will. It always, it always causes us to make a choice to stop going left but th- and now to go right. You can't believe in the gospel and leave unchanged, right? James says the devils be- believe and are condemned. So saving faith affects the will. And that's where the love of God is the consequence because the, 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 what, what the mind believes transforms the emotions, okay? So it is emotional. It's, it's intellectual, it's, um, it's volitional, but it's also emotional. Because why? You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ without it pricking your conscience, without you experiencing the conviction and grief of sin that, you, that you, you've had toward God. See, all these things sort of come about when saving faith happens in our lives. And it's in this that Christians believe and trust in Jesus Christ. That faith, that emotional aspect, that intellectual aspect and volitional, when we believe, we don't believe in ourselves. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the Son of God, the eternal Word, the Lord of heaven and earth. That's what Son of God means. The one who is altogether righteous, holy, and loving. I think this is our, on our next slide. He is, he is the Son of God. What is the content of our faith? What is it that we believe? What's our pistol, right? Jesus is Son, the eternal Word, the Lord of heaven and earth, God, in other words. That's what we're saying here. It says also in 1 John that um, to be, um, what is his command? To believe 
in the Son, the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're believing that he is Jesus. And Jesus means Savior. You're not Savior. Your boss isn't. Your bank accounts aren't. Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior. He alone can save us from our sin and make us right with God and give us rest in his presence. He is Jesus. He is Son, He is Savior, and He is Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. That's what this word means. Messiah in the Old Testament is referring to a promise of God that He, that God the Lord would send a deliverer to Israel and to God's people to rescue them. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So Jesus, what we're saying, we believe that God is a promise keeper and that Jesus is the proof perfect that God has kept his promise. Isn't that great news? That's our assurance, friends, that Christ, the Son, the eternal word of God, came to save us at the promise that God made to Abraham and to Adam and to Eve and so on. That's our assurance the one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. The one who keeps God's command lives. You want life? Believe. Trust in these things. Jesus the Savior, in the Son our Lord, in Christ the promise keeper. He's made you whole and will make you whole. The one who keeps his command lives in him. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It's like Paul saying, we know that God lives in us because God lives in us. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me read it again. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the spirit that lives in us. The Spirit is God. So th what's going on here? We, we know he lives, uh, lives in us because he lives in us. What's he saying? What on earth? Well, I think Psalm 139 explains it well. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand guides me and your right hand holds me fast. Friends, the, the, the way that you know that you're a believer is you cannot escape faith. The Spirit of God follows you everywhere you go, even when you're mad at God, even when you're rebelling against God, you're at the deepest depths of the, the worst lows in your life, and you still have this thing in you that, said, that says Jesus is Lord. You can't escape it. So that's what this means. How do you know that he lives in you? Because the Spirit's in you. The reason that that is preserved is because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you to preserve it. Isn't that great news? Do you sense the Spirit of God following you around, convicting you of sin, reassuring you of his love? As in Romans 8, affirming with your spirit that God is your Father. Do you think that comes from you? That's the Spirit of God. The heart of God promised to Solomon thousands of years ago, fulfilled in you, that his heart will never leave you. Wow. Oh, friend. Our assurance of real life, eternal rest in his presence is the sovereign gift of God that he provides in every way and can never be lost. 
Isn't that good news? Let's pray. God, how good are you? We can't even speak these things without being in awe of your love and grace and kindness. God, we thank you that when our hearts condemn us, you're greater than our hearts. We thank you for these, God, these lovely words of an age-old pastor who wrote that you tenderly bind up the broken in heart. The soul bowed down, you will raise. For, for mourning, the ointment of joy, you will impart. And for heaviness, garments of praise. Come then, sing to the praise of our God who gives and takes away, who first by his kindness and then by his rod would teach us poor sinners to pray. For in the assembly of Jesus firstborn, who anthems of gratitude raise, each heart has by great tribulation been torn, each voice turned from wailing to praise. God, oh, how it is through our weakness that you introduce us to your strength and dress us with your assurance so that we can live with confidence. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray, God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that, oh, friend, would you put repentant faith in Jesus right now? Would you cast your sins on him at the cross? Turn from them and trust in him to, to satisfy the demands of the law. That in Christ, the death we deserve because of sin is put on him, but he rose from the dead so that we might too rise and be reconciled to our God and know hearts rest in his presence. Cry out to him, God save me. I need the rest that only Christ provides. And friend, if that's you, I just invite you to come and tell me, tell somebody about the faith that you've put in Jesus. And God, for the rest of us, I ask, Lord, as your people, that we would continually turn to you for our strength and for our hope. Thank you for this gathered church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you provide for us that we can trust. And thank you, God, that you are greater than our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.